0: Open the eyes of our hearts, dear Lord, that we may see the wonders of your word. Amen. Today we are in Nehemiah chapter 3, where we see the people of Jerusalem coming together to build the wall. Nehemiah 3 is all about build, 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 how individuals pitched in and did the work together. They were coordinated and led by Nehemiah and above all the good hand of the Lord was upon them. People from all walks of life joined together in building the wall. Though at first instance this chapter might seem as though a summary of all the work that they have done, the hand of the Lord God of heaven has indeed placed some hidden gems inside this chapter. If we pay special attention to this book, we shall discover the gems or we will just be reading the names. A man named Vigo Olsen was a diplomat to Bangladesh in 1972. He rebuilt 10,000 houses in war-ravaged Bangladesh and he took inspiration from this chapter of the Bible especially because this chapter does not include any expert architects or builders or carpenters or masons or any of those people whom we associate with building. So that's how we know God has indeed meant this chapter not just as a record of building the wall but as a record of something profound. If you read through this chapter, you can see 10 gates listed out. The Sheep Gate, the Fish Gate, the Old Gate, the Valley Gate, the Refuse Gate, the Fountain Gate, the Water Gate, the Horse Gate, the East Gate, and finally the Inspection Gate. So this chapter is loaded with symbolism. The people of Jerusalem built the city walls which had numerous gates. But then God is showing us something far deeper in meaning. He's talking about the life of a believer and the gates that are to be there and the walls that are to be there in his or her life. The God of heaven is no ordinary God. He does not do things haphazardly, randomly or without any order. So there is a sense of direction running through this whole chapter. The walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem were destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 587 BC and later on it was once again destroyed by Antiochus and then once again it was destroyed by Titus the Roman Emperor in 70 AD. So not much of the originals remain as of now. But this chapter gives us a photograph if we are able to visualize it. Verse 1 starts with the sheep gate built by Eliashib the high priest. The sheep gate was one through which the animals were brought for sacrifice into the city, to the temple in Jerusalem. And by the high priest building it, we see how the high priest took that sheep to the altar of the temple for sacrifice prophet isaiah said in chapter 53 verse 7 he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and john the baptist said in john chapter 1 verse 29 look the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world so it is very clear as to why the sheep gate is mentioned first it points to jesus christ as the sacrificial lamb jesus said in john chapter 10 verse 9 i am the gate Usually the shepherds will lie at the entrance of the gate to prevent wild animals from attacking their sheep and similarly Jesus is indeed our gate who will let us out to pasture and also one who will guard us from the evil one. This also tells us that there is no other entrance except through Jesus Christ our gate. To be a Christian we must all enter through Jesus Christ and also this was the only gate to be consecrated to the Lord. In verse 3 we are told about the fish gate what does it signify fish talks about god's judgment in the old testament and the israelites rebelled amos and habakkuk said their rebellion will result in captivity in amos chapter 4 verse 2 and habakkuk chapter 1 verses 15 to 17 likening the people of israel to fish In the New Testament, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. So once we enter through the sheep gate and we become God's children, God will use us to bring other people to Christ. See the example in one of the disciples, Andrew. Andrew is mentioned only three times in the Bible, though he was the brother of Peter. And in each of those three incidents, we see Andrew bringing a catch to Jesus. The first catch was his own brother Peter as we see in John chapter 1 verse 41. In the second instance we see him in John chapter 6 verse 9 bringing a small boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. The third incident we see in John chapter 12 verse 22 when Philip came and told Andrew about the Greeks and Andrew brought the Greeks to Jesus. So there are three types of people, the interested ones, the reluctant ones and the foreigners. Thus we are to bring all these three different kinds of people to Jesus. Andrew was in the background. Similarly, here in verse 3 we see the sons of Asenah built the fish gate. We do not know the names, they are in the background too. It shows that whatever work we do for the Lord, it should be because God is glorified and not us. Next in verse 6, we come to the old gate and the wall next to it. Here we see many people coming together and working on this particular project. What is the significance of the old gate? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, we read, "If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come." A gate is usually used for two things: to let in and to keep out. So here we see the importance of our old self to be kept out of our lives. Many Christians still cling on to their old lives. Of course, we do have our human Adam nature, but then that is no excuse for clinging on to the old. We need to let go of the old because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our words, all of these things should reflect that we are a redeemed person in Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 22, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see a Christian's duty is to become like Jesus day by day from the time he is a new creation. And how do we do that? By putting off our old self and putting on the new self. You can read further in the Bible in the same chapter Ephesians chapter 4 verses 23 to chapter 5 verse 20. What are the things that need to be put off? What are the sins of the flesh? What are the things that the new person must put on? And how it will bring up the fruit of the spirit? Another thing I would like to point here is verse 12. We read next to him Shalom, the son of Alohesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem made repairs. He and his daughters... So do you realize that God has never forgotten women? Many nowadays say the Bible doesn't respect women. In fact, out of all the holy books of all the religions, the Bible is the one that gives the utmost respect to women. You see, God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. These particular daughters of Shalom we're doing what was normally a man's work. Many people even within Christianity say that women are not to do the Lord's work. They understand the Bible incorrectly. God does not call all men into his ministry, neither does he call all women into his ministry. God has given us specific roles to play in his kingdom. Some might be to minister inside the confines of their own homes, some men might be to confined to their own cubicle inside their offices. And some people might be required to travel to far off places. But then we should remember, like the builders of this particular project here, in verses 6 to 12, each one had his own section to build. Each filled up that space. Likewise, God holds the plan for each one of us. This section of the wall was built by many from all walks of life from high and low and both men and women. So let us all learn from this old gate. In verse 13, we see the valley gate. Just one verse is dedicated to this gate and the next gate that is the refuse gate. Valley usually refers to despair, a valley of tears, a valley of depression, a valley of failure, a valley of difficulty. Valley is a low place in our lives. It talks about sorrow. It talks about mourning. The Psalmist talks in Psalm 1 about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It was a painful experience. There is a close connection between the valley gate and the refuse gate. The refuse gate is nothing but the waste gate. What a horrible name for a gate. But then it is an essential part of the city of Jerusalem. This was the gate through which the filth of the city was taken out. God's city must be holy and undefiled. God gave specific instructions during the wilderness journey in Exodus of how to keep themselves clean. And yet God in his wisdom had made that provision for the Israelites. In verse 13 we read the valley gate was connected to the refuse gate by the wall which was also repaired. So both these gates led to the valley of Hinnom which was the closest to these two gates. We saw in the book of Chronicles of how the valley of Hinnom was used as a high altar for the pagan god Molech, where the abominable practice of child sacrifice were being practiced and how King Josiah destroyed that altar. This seems to be the exact gate that Jeremiah also spoke about in Jeremiah chapter 19 verse 2. The valley gate leads to a downward spiral. It is symbolic of being led to the lowest points of your life. The refuse gate symbolizes the fact that the filth does not belong in your life. The filth of idolatry. All sin is idolatry, an attempt to find joy and satisfaction not in God himself but in what God forbids. An idol, simply put, is anything that is more important to us than God. It is anything that has outweighed God in our lives. Anything that we love, trust or obey more than God. Anything that has replaced God as essential to our happiness in our lives is an idol. And these two gates serve an important purpose that once we let in those idols, we go into the lowest point of our lives. And also to signify that the idols do not belong anywhere in our lives except to be taken out by the refuse gate. So up until all these gates, the focus has been on God in the gates as well as man's response to God by those gates. That is represented by the people working on each of those gates. From here on, the focus is entirely on the Lord God in each of the gates. The fountain is a place of cleansing. Only God can accomplish this. Only he can cleanse our souls and this is the focus of our attention in this particular gate. So there are no workers mentioned between the refuse gate and the fountain gate. We bring our filth to the Lord and confess our sins to the Lord and it is the Lord himself who cleanses our sins. So the confession and the cleansing are linked together. And thus there is no wall between the refuse gate and the fountain gate. We see how beautifully this picture has been depicted in this chapter. We would not be so sure if Nehemiah knew everything that he was writing down. But then the Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Nehemiah wrote it down. So it is relevant even to us today. This fountain gate is the only one gate which is mentioned as having a roof built over it. The fountain gate represents the fountain cleansing done by God, which Isaiah the prophet expresses in chapter 1 verse 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a wonder as to how drastically the Lord brings about a change, a cleansing in our lives. So even as we see from this gate on, the focus is entirely on God. We see that it involves the Trinity Father sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The fountain gate is thus representative of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The work of the Holy Spirit is to purify, refresh and empower us. When we accept Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters our lives, cleanses us and takes possession of our hearts. His power and strength are available to us right from the moment we receive Jesus as Savior. Joel the prophet writes about it in Joel chapter 3 verse 18. And it will come to pass in that day, a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord. What day it is? In verse 21, for I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed. To acquit is to decide officially in a court of law that someone is not guilty. So even though we are sinners, God has acquitted us saying you are no longer guilty because Jesus Christ has taken your sin upon him and given his life and redeemed you so that you are no longer guilty. In Acts chapter 2 verse 17, Apostle Peter quotes Joel on the day of Pentecost. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all people, on my servants, both men and women. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that is the experience of the fountain gate where we receive pardon from our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit a fountain that shall flow from the house of the Lord. And again coming back to Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 26 we see the next gate that is the water gate and even in this water gate there is no mention of any repairs being made. Look at that another symbolism that it didn't need any repairs unlike the other gates previously that we have been seeing up until the refuse gate. To understand this water gate symbolism, we need to look at Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 where Ezra gathers all the people, the men, the women and the children to the open square in front of the water gate. And then Ezra read from the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. So this gate is a symbolism of God's word. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 26 while writing to husbands to love their wives, Paul gives a commandment saying, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So you see water is associated with God's word. God's word needs no repairs. Some people try to twist God's word according to modern standards. But God said, My word shall never fail. God's word has been the subject of attack by Satan right from the very beginning. And never has there been a great attack against God's word than in the present day. And yet it stands and abides forever. God says, My word shall not pass away. Next in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 28 we read about the horse gate. The horse gate as we have seen was used during King Solomon's times for the many horses that he had. The horse is symbolic of royalty and God describes the horse to Job in Job chapter 39 verse 19. When Jesus was on earth everybody wanted to make him king. In John chapter 6 verse 15 we read that he withdrew into the hills by himself because his time had not come. And when he did come into the city on Palm Sunday, he did not come on a horse but rather he came on a lowly donkey, meek and lowly. And that is exactly the reason why the Pharisees and the priests were scandalized because it was the entrance of the king. As Zechariah prophesied, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They thought, how could this carpenter become a king? We are waiting for the real king of David's dynasty. But the crowds knew that God was king. So they cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Even Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And a notice was hung over the cross saying this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. However, in the Bible we are told in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 to 16 that the next time that we shall see him, he shall come down as the king of kings riding on a white horse. He shall have his own retinue, the armies of heaven riding along with them. The first time it was the lowly king riding on a donkey to save the people of the world. The next coming would be the warrior king to overcome his enemies and to be the just judge of the world. And subsequent to the horse gate, next we see the east gate. Here again there is no actual repair to the gate as such but only to the wall. So the east gate of Jerusalem leads us from the first coming of our Lord to his second coming. All eyes will see him in his great glory. Though the nations of the earth will mourn, for those who believe, this final event of history will be a time of great blessing and rejoicing and victory. In his wings will be the final healing from sin, from sorrow, from physical suffering, from the worry of earthly life into the joy and peace of his heavenly presence. Alaki says of this as the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. In Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 It will be that great day burning like a furnace for the rest of the world but for you who fear my name the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves from the stall Notice how in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 29 it says Keeper of the east gate So he was some kind of a guardian of the east gate What does it refer to? In Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 2, Ezekiel sees a vision and in that vision it is very interesting that he notes, The Lord said to me, This gate, the one facing the east, is to remain shut. It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel has entered through it. In chapter 46 verse 1, Ezekiel says, The gate of the inner court facing east is to be shut on the six working days. But on the Sabbath day, it is to be opened. The prince is to enter from the outside through the portico of the gateway. My thoughts go back to Garden of Eden where the tree of life was shut off by God. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 24. What is the word there? He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now can you see the symbolism of the keeper of the gate? It will remain shut until God himself will reopen it to those of us who fear him. And finally in chapter 3 verse 31 we come to the inspection gate. Even here there were no repairs being done to the gate as such. Signifying once again that it is the Lord's doing and requires no human activity there. The Hebrew for this particular gate is Mifkad. Mifkad actually means numbering or gathering or an appointment. Mifkad gate led into the courtyard of the temple of the Lord where the people assembled together or gathered together to worship God. Jesus brings all the believers of various nations together as one body of Christ as a gathering for Him. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, we read, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And again, in the Bible, we are told, When Jesus comes again, he will gather all of us together in front of his throne. One thing the Bible assures us is that he who is coming will come and will not delay. As we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37, And the Bible also tells us on that judgment day will be the rewards given to those who have received him and who have sought him and who have feared him all throughout their lives. Because on that day our lives will reveal whether we have built with gold, silver, precious stones or wood or hay and stubble. The man's worthless works will be burnt. Let's take care on how we build our lives. So to round up Jesus himself is the gate and we saw the 10 gates symbolizing the various things. First the sheep gate where Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. And next is the fish gate where he removes the rebellion of our hearts and makes us fishers of men. And third we saw the old gate where Jesus made us a new creation in him having taken the old away. And next is the valley gate which promises us that God will be with us even in the valleys, the lowest points of our lives. And then we saw the refuse gate where the filth is supposed to be taken out from our lives. And next we came to the fountain gate where Jesus promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And next we saw the water gate where Jesus washes us clean with the word of God. And then we saw the horse gate, which showcased Jesus riding on a low and meekly donkey, and next to come upon the white horse as a victor. And then the east gate, symbolizing that Jesus is coming again very soon. And finally, the inspection gate or the judgment gate, which symbolizes Jesus will gather us all together to be happy forevermore. May God bless these words. Amen.